0: Hi, you're listening to Under the Radar. Between the main episodes where we feature our big band or artist interviews is this space, where I shed some light about the making of the current episode and read a review or email we might have received from you. We also invite a guest, someone who's listened to the episode and written us a review, to come on the show and chat about the episode. So, if you're interested in being featured, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can email me at Celine.Tioblocky at undertheradarmag.com. If you didn't catch that, it's in our show notes. I'm also on Instagram at CelineTioblocky or at UTR Podcasts. Today we're talking about September's episode featuring Jason Williamson of UK punk duo Sleaford Mods. The tape I want to play is us talking about lockdown with children. This bit was edited out. It was suggested to me by the good folks at Timber. That's a podcast community I'm a part of. Um, that it sounded maybe a little too casual. I chose to leave some of it in because it made sense to the flow of the narrative and the questions that came after. But I think also, as a parent, it's nice to commiserate with other parents. Misery likes company, after all. So here's the take. How many kids do you have at home? I've got two. Two. Two as well. A boy and a girl? Yeah. Nice. Uh I've got two boys and um Okay. It's been hard work to like be their police and their parent and their friend and
1: Yeah, it's re- it's been really hard. You can't lace it with romance when you talk to other people about it. It's like, yeah, it's brutal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's a really short clip, but it makes me laugh each time. I wanted to also note how incredibly generous Jason was with his time, and he also recorded more tape for me later, as I had some follow-up questions, and in that tape, I could hear his kids in the background, I could hear what sounded like him maybe locking the door behind them, but they do manage to come into the room again, so that's just the reality, right, at the moment? Um, Anyway... Considering how much rage he conveys in his performance in music, it's such a contrast that he's so incredibly sweet and courteous, which is a lovely thing when you have to interview someone. If you've stumbled on this episode without listening to the main episode, please make sure you do. And now we read a review. I've got two from the UK. Thank you to my nephew, Harry Cleaver, for sending me the screenshot. Um because in America, we can't see the reviews in other countries. So this first one is titled Ezra. It's an old review. It's like a year old from the episode we did featuring Ezra Furman. So it goes, Celine, your conversation with Ezra Furman is outstanding. She's such an important artist, so loved and highly regarded in the UK. X from Deb JK. Well, thank you, Ezra Furman is outstanding, isn't she? Um, I have no idea who Deb JK is, but thank you for the love. Um, This next one is titled Great Show and is from Marty Box. And it reads... Terrific show. I really enjoyed the Sleaford Mods episode this week. I don't know their music well, and it was fascinating to hear about his struggles to break through as a musician in 2010s Britain. Always a thoughtful interviewer. Yay! And so, we have Marty here today, and he's actually speaking to us from Iceland on his working holiday. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. I'm sorry to like make you work on your drive and your holiday. No,
2: no, it's nice. We listen to podcasts on the road. So it was a fun one to, to listen to. So
0: maybe you can introduce yourself. You do so many things, so I'll leave it up to you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm Martin zolt I'm a podcaster and a musician and a producer, I guess.
0: As a musician, how would you describe your music?
2: Oh, I hate doing that. I'm really <laughs> crap at it. I did a job for a well known music critic. I described to him what my music was, and he was like, oh, yeah, That does sound quite crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, I usually say it's alt folk, way existential.
0: And it's called Pale Bird?
2: It's just me, but I call myself Pale Bird in the spirit of uh, being a band with one person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when did you first start putting music out as Pale Bird?
2: Oh, quite recently, so 2017, I had another band which had a worse name even than Pale (laughs) Bird. And uh, so all of that stuff, I've been making music, I made music under that name from about 2005 and all of that stuff I've now collected under Pale Bird and sort of re-released.
0: There's another Bird reference, isn't there?
2: So in uh, 2017, I quit my job and went traveling um, with my wife. (laughs) so in 2018 I was 40 that year and I recorded 40 songs so it was roughly a song a week with some weeks off for when the traveling was a bit too intense so I didn't have the chance and then I released that as four 10 track albums year of the bird volumes one to four you know there's tracks that are like recorded in hotel rooms in Melbourne and written on the beach in Hawaii and in Cambodia and all sorts of places
0: okay so the episode what are some of the things that um, when you were listening to the episode so you said you didn't really know you. You must know of the band.
2: The name comes up quite a lot. They're quite beloved with people I know in the UK. Um, but I didn't know the music that well. I think I'd heard bits and bobs, and it was super interesting to listen to the interview because it sort of. The more I heard of the music, I, it was more I was like oh, this is yeah, this is sort of what I was expecting. This sort of in, really interesting mix of humor and like intense anger <laughs> that i think feels quite british and it was just really interesting to hear from him because i think you wouldn't was not totally dissimilar he's a bit older than me but he's from the east midlands i'm from the west midlands i think he had a much more working class upbringing i had a pretty middle class upbringing um but you know we both lived through in one way or another sort of 2010s britain and austerity, you know, at the time in response to the financial crisis, when governments around the world were going like, we desperately need to put money into the economy and make sure people are supported. And our government was like, we desperately need to punish the poor. Mm. And that just frustration and anger that comes out of it. And also, yeah, the sense of like being, again, I, I've i not done it for very long, but that sense of being trapped in a really pointless job and that doesn't just doesn't take you anywhere and is low paid and um. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've had a pretty good career path. So I've not been in those jobs for longer than a few weeks, but it sounds like he was doing it for years while he, you know, waited for his career to take off and figured out what his life was going to look like.
0: Mm. And also, this thing he was talking about in terms of if you're working class, then, you know, you're authentic and you sing about working class things and you mm. know and there's this whole kind of if you're if you're not working class and you're middle class then you can't kind of adopt all these signifiers mm. and like i knew where he was coming from and i understood why he was upset with this other band but he's also quite a provocateur and he always says things yeah you know?
2: there was a bit i really like where he was talking about you know certain bands that are champion particular causes like independent venues i think he was talking about Mm. and like he'd written a song that was like sort of attacking those people because he thought it was cynical on a smaller scale it's the same as what band-aid or live aid mm. or whatever it was where these big rock stars who maybe their stars were starting to wane a little bit would get attention mm. and kudos and get to play to a big audience and there's you know there's i think there's a bit of that but i also like fatty hunter cut that and was like i mean maybe that's not entirely true maybe that's not entirely fair but i can put it in a song i am allowed to do that i am allowed to just like you know throw that kind of hand grenade into the air and see what reaction it gets and i quite like that because i think also you know that relentless cynicism is very british as well and it's another (laughs) another british trope that people i think kind of fall into and i like the fact that he was like yeah like it's a thing that i i've done but you know the, the truth is maybe more complicated
0: Every kind of hand grenade that he did throw, it wasn't a case of this is a hateful person and he doesn't want anyone on his lawn. It was just sort of let's just see what <laughs> happens because there are people out there who really feel strongly about this stuff, and you know, and he does yeah. too. Yeah, I like that. And I think you also um, said that it reminds you of, you can hear a bit of Gang of Four and Half Men, Half Biscuit. So like yeah. Gang of Four, like I'm, I'm familiar with that, but I, I wasn't actually familiar with Half Man, Half Biscuit and I went to listen to the music and they're still
2: doing stuff out
0: there, you know, yeah. like performing and writing this kind. You Neither know.
2: of them are bands I know that well, to be honest, but they just, you know, like the articulacy of Gang of Four, like I feel like he has that thing of. There's a lot of lyrics, like and I don't mean that in a good way. And then, um, and then, half half biscuit is just really funny, and and there's a weirdness to the way that he sings. And I hear a bit of that as well in sleeper mods. Like there's a sense of humour to it. It's like spiky and angry, but it's also like it's not just aggression. there's also I think there's a bit of a sense of ridiculousness, yeah. to it, and a sense of fun. Otherwise, it'd be really hard to take. Otherwise, it's just a guy shouting about austerity, and that's really depressing.
0: Yeah, I've read interviews with Andrew Fern, um the producer who does all the beats and all the music under that. And that's also like a thing. It's like a, a really sly beats that he puts under that sounds so simple. And his thing is like when they go and do sh- live shows, he just stands there and he <laughs> presses <that>. a button.
2: <laughs> It reminded me a little bit of like Young Marble Giants as well, like you know they have that real minimal thing going on. Tell me more. Are uh, they like an odd Scottish band? I mean, they're not. I don't think think they're political. I don't know because like it's like a they're an native Scottish band, and maybe they're referring to Scottish politics. Mm-hmm. But um, from the interview, it sounded like he's much more influenced by hip hop, which is a world I know less, much less well. So yeah, I'm sure if. I said that Oh you sound like Young Marble Giants No I sound like Jay-Z You know
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's it's actually um, He's been Andrew's been like uh, Doing music for a long time I mean like much like, about what like you've, fifty, right? Yeah. And much like what you've done in terms of just putting music out there, even if there's no record label and because you can do it, just kind mm. of self-releasing for years. I think Andrew must be must be self-releasing for like maybe twenty years, just music. Yeah. Some of his earliest influences were like pet shop boys. Yeah. So I feel like it's super diverse because even like Jason says in the interview, the things that like inspire him is like bottomless. He gets his inspiration from everyone. right yeah Yeah. yeah, so you might just just be right there in doing the episode i was like i'd be interested to sit down with andrew and hear his story as well yeah you know and how they kind of tee up together and one of the things that they say in relation to what you brought up was the the fact that it has to be funny
2: otherwise it is painful you know the stuff he's talking about is painful and so frustrating and he's getting it out right But as an audience member, you're just like, oh, yeah, this terrible country we live in. Yeah, right. So so unless there is something to sort of like leaven the bread a little bit, it's just it's quite harsh. So what did you think about uh, like you have some awareness of like British music and British politics, like the image that has got sold of Britain to other parts of the world is like and maybe until recently, like we're very intelligent because we have these wonderful accents and aren't the royals great? And then he's showing like a different side, not the whole picture, but another, a a very realistic side of Britain.
0: For me, Mm -hmm. when I listen to his music, it's just another aspect of British culture. And maybe, like what you're saying, it's not the one that we hear very often. It's not the one that's exported to the rest of the world. But it's the one that really, when people do listen to it, it resonates with them because given the state of the world right mm. now, you know, it's austerity measures. Ten years in the UK, in America, it's the same, you know. And then for me, it's like two sides to the same coin in terms mm. of the kind of music that's coming out. It's as British as anything else. But I guess the difference is like 10 years of that kind of austerity measures, like uh, like I wasn't familiar with that side of like the politics yeah. of it and, and how it kind of really affects people's kind of granular experience from the day to day it's like you know it's like i always hear about the nhs and like me when we lived in london we loved the nhs you know so um and so for me like that's like an important thing and seeing what's going on in america as well and like in singapore where i grew up you know we had public health i love the fact that you get like a more kind of rounded idea of what britain is but i feel like it's interesting to understand it from a historical perspective he started out on the back of Britpop, pop 1992 i think he said when he yeah. went back and he wanted to be like an indie rocker and he was in a band you know right. on the, where there's that new labor and like there was this whole kind of optimism
2: i think the 90s was a really fascinating time for british class in music right because you had oasis blair that's the really mm-hmm. obvious one mm-hmm. you got the northern working class lads and the southern kind of middle class pretending to be working class lads <laughs> and then but for me like um you know pulp came out of that and the, some of the stuff they wrote in the 90s mm. like even on like the big hits like common people like the social commentary and that is just really sharp like he's talking about class tourists exactly the thing that um you talked about in the in, in the interview mm-hmm. he's talking about people who who um you know pretend to be working class because it has more credibility and it's like you know, you take everything from this group of people. You've got a comfortable life at the expense of these people. And yet, you know, you want to take the last thing which is their credibility and their and their their culture. And it's total nonsense.
0: <laughs> yeah. You've articulated it so perfectly. And I think it's like even just listening to the music and then listening listening to him talk, sometimes he didn't articulate it with that kind of clarity. But you understood it, you know, you understood yeah. what he was getting at in so little word. And I feel like it's in the music as well. You really have to lean in and, you know, like need a dictionary to figure out what he's saying and then what the references are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's there's that sense, but you don't, you can't, it's undeniable that kind of palpable sense of this guy's angry and he's got cause to be angry and he's not just singing about it because it's the the right thing to do now to sing about class you know it's like yeah
2: yeah it's cool
0: yeah so that's kind of what i liked about it but you know i mean for you austerity measures aren't just about the working poor i mean like people in the middle class have also it's like impacted by these sorts of i mean 10 years of austerity measures everyone feels it i mean like in the us um, like today, I saw Kamala Harris was talking about the fact that the government needs to reward work, not just wealth, because you got to help the middle class and, you know, rather than tax cuts for ultra wealthy and corporations. But for you, you used to be an academic and then you kind mm-hmm. of gave it up to, to live this bohemian life of making audio <laughs> and traveling the world. But Austerity measures must also hit for you and, like, or oh, for people close to you, maybe in not such a crippling way, but it still affects you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to like overemphasize that because I think it's hit the poor much more than everyone else. I really do, do you think that, like, the conservatives are a party that predominantly punish the poor and the weak. You know, the disabled have been hit very, very badly. Um, women, particularly, lots of other groups who, are already in a fairly precarious situation in british society then it's not like we're well i don't know i mean i don't say we're not a society that like encourages or celebrates diversity because i don't think that's quite true but the conservative (laughs) party is is not one that fiscally celebrates those groups um Mm. so i don't know like i i have been really lucky in the circumstances of like where i was when like the credit crunch hit and austerity hit and these other things where i could have been in a much much worse Position, but I do just think like inequality hits everybody, and and I'm not for a moment saying that to mean that the poor aren't the worst hit, but it just it's just corrosive to society, right? You know, the you know there are these wonderful books by like Danny Dorling or like The Spirit Level, these all these books that say like societies which have an inequality in them are worse for everyone. The rich in those societies are are poorer because. Mm. There's more more paranoia. You can extrapolate all sorts of other causal relationships and, and, and impact. It just makes the society worse, I think. When you know, you can see some people are doing really quite well. Thank you very much. And you know, lots of people are using food banks that wasn't a thing mm. ten years ago. There were a handful of food banks, and now that's that's commonplace in Britain. It's, really? It's, um, yeah, it's really deeply depressing. <laughs> it's nice as well that like someone like Sleeful Mods comes along that they're talking about that but they're also being really specific it's not a generic call to action about you know the rich, rich, rich free poor or whatever it's specific about this person's experiences and like the place he's from and all of this stuff and I just think like art and music is much better when it has that texture like I think it's really hard it's not impossible but it's so hard to write like a generic song you know which is about love or I don't know inequality even, like, without it just falling falling flat on its face and just expressing a very generic sentiment that doesn't say anything. And I think when you get really specific about your references and about your experiences, um, it's much more universal. And I think that's that's why bands like this are, you know, better than a lot of music that's out there, in my opinion.
0: Definitely the specificity of it all just grounds it and just kind of makes it more real.
2: Because we don't see the world from, like, you know we're not floating in a zeppelin above the world, like we we're, we're on the ground, like living through our bodies, like living through our our particular viewpoint, and you know often music which which denies that just ends up being this weird zeppelin music, you know
0: well <laughs> oh, speaking of that, you know you said that you also kind of like that he found recognition late,
2: yeah, it gives me hope. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, but you've been making music for a long time and and also you've got the podcasting thing and you're a very, very successful podcaster in the sense that, you know, the, the, the work that you do, people, people listen to.
2: Yeah, which is wonderful. But
0: how does that kind of tee up with your musician creator side?
2: Well, it's just that funny thing of like the things in life, the things that you think you're good at and feel excited about Don't always exactly line up with the things that people want to give you money money to do. So, um, you know, some of the stuff that I've got money to do, I'm super proud of. And then there's other stuff that I really, really love, like the music I've made, that I think, you know, really only a handful of people have ever listened to it or had had the chance to. There's a tension there. Like, you have to do projects that mean you can, you know, live. And I'm really lucky that now that I can largely make a living from audio. And music and creative projects but then there's other stuff which is sort of like you know your passion and how do you balance that in your life how do you make sure that you're feeding your belly and your soul
0: yeah (laughs) did you ever think you wanted to be a successful musician and like be able to perform and
2: yeah I love all that stuff I mean I used to gig I and I love performing I love singing in front of an audience and love singing songs that I've written for them but it's really it was very very hard to to get people to come along and, and watch me play. <laughs> I'm really making my music sound amazing, aren't I? Yeah, no one wanted to say it, but it, it's it's really hard. It's really hard to get attention on it, and I never quite got the knack. I would love to do that. My first love is music, and i found projects in audio now that I can be passionate about. I mean, one of them is talking about music. One of them is talking about the music of Tom Waits, is one of my favorite musicians and that's a wonderful thing to do but that's sort of a, again that's adjacent to, to creating music but it is a really nice thing to do because talking about your favorite artists and why you love their music is is a really nice thing to do every week so <laughs> i recommend that if you're a, a, a podcast maker and you're like what would be a good project like just talking about something you love is really is a really nice thing to do like us now yeah exactly yeah
0: so i was gonna ask you is tom waits your biggest like musical hero and that's why you want it to Make a podcast about his music or did you, or was it partly because he is that kind of underrated? name that everybody knows tom waits but not really his music i mean what mm. what made you such a super fan
2: <laughs> i just listened to his music at the right time i think i was listening to grunge and alternative music and then mm. somehow oh through that i just started listening to primus which is a band that everyone hates but i think are really good <laughs> and then from primus they did a curl up in the early 90s and that was when i started started listening to primus and i was like who's hey, this tom waits guy and then i started listening to his records and they just, I just thought they were so strange, and I was like, "What is happening here? Why are you combining sounds in this way?" And then you realise that although he's deliberately doing things which are to, to sort of distance you as a listener, he's also an incredibly gifted, like melodic songwriter, and very, very sentimental in in places. And certainly, if you go back to the music he wrote in the seventies, it's, it's mostly sentimental. And um, so he's got this incredible catalogue. I mean, he's made music. Mm uh for nearly i guess when was the last album like 2011 so 40 years yeah and then that 40 year period like he's done so much interesting stuff he just you know he moves between like songwriting and like acoustic experimentation like some really interesting production techniques that really put you in the space of the recording in a really Mm -hmm. compelling way almost like like a field recording technique yeah, uh, the way that he uses his voice, you know, everyone thinks he's this sort of growly guy, and he is a growly guy, but he also has an enormous palette that he moves between. He can, you know, he d- he has what he calls his prince voice, and then he has like stuff that sounds like very soft and tender and stuff, which is much more more growly. So he's just a really interesting artist, and despite the fact he's pretty weird, like <laughs> you probably put him in the same category as like Captain Beefheart, say would be an obvious comparison. Mm. Despite that fact, like his music can be really accessible, and he is sort of like up there with like the sort of Neil Young's and not quite Bob Dylan but like those sort of like second tier best songwriters of the 20th century so yeah it's really it's had such an interesting career the way that he's basically had like an alternative music career at a time when alternative music didn't quite exist and he kind of converged on in the 90s with all of these artists that were starting to do the same thing yeah, sorry, that's a very long answer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been on the show, so I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I said it when Lily was on. It's nothing like seeing and understanding the music through super fans eyes yeah because you know it's just like all that passion and all that kind of knowledge that you have about it and yeah it's really infectious to then go oh yeah let's go find out some more because you know martin was so excited
2: <laughs> yeah it's fun <laughs> as well go- I, hope, I hope it was accessible that's the other thing when you do that kind of show is that um it can become a little bit like train spotting right and it just becomes mm. like oh on this record of course he collaborated with mark robert who he'd done and worked with in the 80s and he used an sm57 on the piano very unusual marking technique and it becomes like this real <laughs> nerd fest and then so someone who comes into that cold is going to be like this is terrible so i mean I, I don't know so yeah one of the things we try and do is have the interval track right so we've got a second track which is a different artist and and we normally try and pick something which is either related by a musician that's performed on both or it's themed or it's you know there's a lyric there's a there's a um like a concept that both songs are exploring and that's quite fun because like i actually that's almost my favorite part because then it's like oh let's mm. talk about a song that i have haven't really paid much attention to before well we had like uh tom Waits has got a song called saving all my love for you and so does whitney houston so, yeah. so we had the whitney houston track and i was like i've never really rated whitney houston but her singing is incredible on that song like, that is a full, like, boar soul performance. It's just really fun to, like, revisit something where you're just like, yeah, I just thought she was this pop act, And you're like, no, no, she was a proper, properly good singer. Everyone else yeah. knows that. I mean, uh, it's just me that that's a surprise <laughs> to you.
0: Well, the, the thing is, like, when I was a kid in when Houston was all the rage, it was like, it was everywhere. And I think for me, like, if it's everywhere and it's, like, so ubiquitous that yeah. I just turn off, you know, it's just like so much hype to it. And so, yeah, I don't think I was like a big Whitney Houston fan, but like yeah. now, you know, like I can see and given kind of a little bit of glimpse into, you know, what she was going through at the time and it, the history of her and her marriage and all the other things around that, and given mm. what we know now just about the politics of race in this country, and um, and you're like, whoa, that's pretty amazing, Um, and I feel like everything – every kind of music that I look through, if it's a female or, you know, somebody who is black or whoever, it's like mm. you just see it so much differently now. It's like they just, you know, had to jump three times higher to to get there.
2: For sure. I think it was just a thing of like not feeling like pop music was for me. And I do feel like that way to some extent now, just because it doesn't speak with any specificity to an experience that mm. like we were talking about. Um, I remember when we had uh, we had John Watson on the show a while ago and he was talking about how he listened to uh, Tom Waits record in like nineteen ninety three, which is one of the weird Tom Waits records. Um, and he was yeah. like, "Pop music was all just people like singing about like being on their yachts and drinking cocktails, and it sounds awful." And, uh, <laughs> and then when like, Tom Waits comes along, and he's got this weird, like, you know, I don't know. I guess no one can really relate to the weird Tom Waits stories as specific to their <laughs> experience but there was something specific about it and it had like a, a granularity so like there's a lot of pop artists that at the time I was like the cynicism of pop music is such that I I was at the time I was just like oh okay this is another constructed you know article designed to part teenagers from their money
0: mm-hmm.
2: but that you know good music does slip through the cracks of that net you know Whitney Houston is, is a good artist she's a good singer um, I don't dislike all pop music it's just it has to really it has to reach a much higher bar. Mm, exactly. I remember when like X Factor or whatever, Pop Idol or whatever the first one came out was and it just seemed so cynical. It's like we're showing you this sort of sausage machine and that's just encouraging you even more to want to buy it and we know that. And I was just like, this is so depressing. Like someone like, the idea like someone like um, Louis Walsh, like standing in front of someone and telling them whether they were good or bad thing, it's like i don't care about your opinion like you know how to make money that's great like you're a businessman mm. i just find it so upsetting like because it because it's so divorced from the idea of what i think music is about which is about a personal expression basically it's not about some record company <laughs> i'm saying like an 80s punk it's not about some record company suit telling you you can't sing because it isn't that's completely irrelevant to, to good art
0: But then the jokes on us, right? Those sort of shows kind of started as like this variety shows, you know, where you all sit around as a family and you watch to see who wins. And then they make a lot of money because then you call and you, you know, you want whoever your winner to be. Then there's that. And then.
2: Then then you buy the record.
0: Yeah. And then you buy the record. And then you put together a band like, you know, uh, what Harry Styles was in, One Direction. Hmm. And then they go on to be very successful so the jokes on us harry styles winds up being quite an interesting kind of artist with a voice of his own and then Mm. you're like oh so maybe that is how you make pop stars and you make money and that's how music works Um, which is again like cynical but
2: i mean some people pivot to that but most don't i mean you Mm. think about who's that guy who's in the walker brother scott walker right here's an example he was like he was in basically a boy band and then did loads of weird shit where he was like yeah Am i mean let's swear he did loads of weird <laughs> stuff where he was like hitting a piece of ham or whatever for percussion <laughs> like how many of those are there like katy perrys who are just like yeah. this is the this is the height of what i'm going to achieve artistically and i just need to keep selling records because i really need to pay my malibu mortgage right yeah, like yeah. that's they're just she's good at what she does what she does is not that interesting right so no no, like no, the sort I'm of not. Silla a- Black of the 21st century.
0: <laughs> so, on that note, um, we're <laughs> going to just <laughs> talk about the most recent music that you put out so that people who want to go oh, and check yeah, out you. your music. Um, I actually like the, the track You're Not Locked in Here with Me, I'm Locked in Here with You. Oh, yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that album and, like, you know, when you wrote it and put it together.
2: Yeah. Um, oh wow. Well, so this this it's like it's an EP, I guess. There's like five tracks. Yeah. And um, I, for some reason, decided it would be really a really cool thing to write an album using seven and eight string guitars. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, i'd sort of got into like there's this jazz guy called charlie hunter He's a san francisco jazz guitarist mm-hmm. he likes strings a guitar up he's got some bass strings he's got some guitar strings so he gets these wonderful rich sounds which sort of sound like a bass and a guitar at once i was like wouldn't that be an interesting texture to try and play with um so uh yeah like during 2020 i wrote this record that used those instruments almost exclusively And the track you just talked about—I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. um, Is it's a it's a line from Watchmen? It's like what Uh Wilshack says when he's trapped in the in the prison, and uh, the the prisoners like everyone's out to get him because he's a vigilante. And uh, at some point, it dawns on them that he's extremely dangerous person. I wrote a piece of software. You can download it to your phone. It lets you access wells of deep despair. When you're on the go, a piece of the abyss that I've put within your reach. I'm not locked in here with you, you're locked in. every town to the worst people I could find so humanity's greatest gargoyles would be uppermost in your mind um, so yeah this is a sort of actually this is, this is kind of about um, you know like 21st century Britain actually I don't tend to write very political material because I don't think I'm clever enough to, to, to do it very well um, but uh, this was like yeah this is like a t- my take on The sort of like Dominic Cummings as of the world viewing this like mean-spirited island they've tried to construct I wrote a million fantasies of fake robotic oppression I penned a million sagas about heroic government inspectors so you can go about your day-to-day content in what you do you're not locked in You the other stuff is a bit more cheerful.
0: I also like is it lo-fi microtonal hip hop beats to chill too?
2: Yeah, that was fun. I watched like a YouTube video about microternal hip hop, which is just like creating chords which are just a little bit out of tune from the original ones. You know, it alternates between this slightly two different pitches. It has this really woozy feel, like you're listening to something on like a knackered VHS cassette.
0: What's it called? Unwavering Sentinels of Dreaming. That's what the EP is called. Yeah. And for going from like one song to the next, it was different. It was like, sometimes I didn't feel like it was part of the same kind of EP. But at the same time, that kind of thread of dreaming that, you know, you can go different places when you dream in that sense of you're locked somewhere and stuck somewhere and then you have this kind of, oh, let's just chill now you know and I was like oh okay maybe maybe it does all connect kind of weird pandemic way where we're just all (laughs) over the place and trying to find like inspiration and ways to like just forget where we're at. The pandemic has been tough and we don't want to diminish anyone's experience of it. But both Martin and I agree that we've been very fortunate that we could still do our work and be creative. And in our careers, we've been able to step off the career ladder and do something interesting. But the people that Sleeve and Mod sing about, they don't have those options
2: there was this culture, I think, in the 80s, and I wasn't really, I was much too young to know about this, but there was this culture of the dole and squatting that meant that musicians could do that. I have a friend who always tells a story whenever we see her, who's like, well, yeah, when I was having, hanging out in Kevin Shields' squat in North London, um, because apparently he just like sat around for 10 years in a squat, not earning very much money, just living mm. off unemployment benefits, um, I, I apologies to Kevin Shields if I'm misrepresenting the story a little bit. But, um, and, and like, you know, dicking about on a jazz master until he became My Bloody Valentine and made these amazing records, right? Like, and it does take time to incubate this stuff.
0: <laughs> on that note, thank you to Martin Zoltostwick for coming on the show. Links to his music in the show notes. And you can find him on The Pale Bird in Bandcamp and Spotify or... Wherever you get your music, you can also follow him on Twitter at Martin Ostwick, M-A-R-T-I-N-A-U-S-T-W-I-C-K. If you visit his blog page, you can listen and read about each of the 40 songs and the fascinating field recording type sounds he captures in his songs. And you can read about the stories like the tree frog in Hawaii that's on the track Lighthouse. And my favorite Post so far is on the year of the dog because not only is that the year that i was born in it also has such an interesting story about the journey that he's been on um anyway i hope you've all enjoyed this episode please follow us on apple podcast spotify apps like overcast and podchaser wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss next month's episode and I'll let one of Martin's songs take us out. This is from an older album, Paler Shadow, and the track's called I Promised Myself I Wouldn't Cry. Till next time. When the day
1: waves, you can weave your words Through the shafts of light as they rotate Fall under my eyes Catch the day Another person's dreams Might as well be up in space What's written on your hand Well I wrote on mine I'll never understand as long as I'm alive I took these words to your heart And I told myself I wouldn't cry I wouldn't cry I think I'll see the fall of this veil of tears My final curtain callers, all my memories